Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. In this episode, we speak with Peter Katzenstein and Jonathan Kirshner, co-editors of the new book, The Downfall of the American Order. Peter Katzenstein is the Walter S. Carpenter Jr. Professor of International Studies at Cornell University. He is the author, co-author, editor, and co-editor of more than 40 books, edited volumes or monographs. Jonathan Kirshner is Professor of Political Science and International Studies at Boston College. His recent books include American Power After the Financial Crisis and An Unwritten Future. We spoke to Peter and Jonathan about the deep uncertainty that currently marks America's position in the world. What changes in the international order they see looming ahead in the future. And what their greatest hopes and fears are for the coming decade. Hello, Peter and Jonathan. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jonathan, for having us. Thanks for having us. Of course, of course. It's a pleasure to talk with both of you. Um, I want to congratulate you on your new book, the edited volume, The Downfall of the American Order. And first question I had is, how did this project come about? What's the backstory to this book? Well, we have been living next to each other on the same floor, opposites across the hall. And over the last 20 plus years, have watched this downfall take shape. And uh, it probably starts with the tech bubble in 2000 and the uh, widespread uh, criminal behavior, Enron and others. Uh, And soon thereafter started two long wars, uh, uh, which were, you know, wars of choice, uh, certainly the Iraq war, uh, and which turned out it total disaster. Yes, and I think that what we saw from that, and also, of course, from the global financial crisis, and I would stress really the aftermath of the global financial crisis and perceptions of fairness about it and the Great Recession, um, was that there was a change underlying in American politics and elsewhere that were very suggestive of the fact that what had been the American disposition globally was likely going to change. And this, of course, comes uh, to a culmination with the rise of outsider candidates in 2016 and the rise of what can only be described as nativist nationalism within the US, which is very much not how one would describe the image of America's engagement on the world stage after the Second World War and in the three quarters of a century beyond that. Yeah, I mean, they, they, this was foreshadowed in the 1990s, of course, by politicians like Pat Buchanan and the Republican Party and Ross Perot as an independent who basically gave the presidency to Bill Clinton by taking almost 20% of the vote from the older Bush. Uh, but those candidates didn't bring the kind of animus and mass mobilization that the Tea Party uh, did after 2012. Uh, enraged by the fallout of the uh, financial crisis. You know, when millions of people lost their homes and the bankers ended up making more money. Uh, so that then leads to the Trump presidency in many ways. Uh, but we saw this unfold over 20 years. So this is not, the downfall is not rapid. It's, it's a long story. 
And it also has its roots in really a 40-year story of widening wealth and income inequality in the US that I think is exacerbates the reaction to the global financial crisis and its aftermath. Again, in the global financial crisis, the, the financial system almost certainly had to be saved, but there was the widespread and fair perception that those who perpetuated the crisis were people who had done really well for quite some time and that they would continue to do well, whereas the vast majority of the population, as a result, were fed the Great Recession and political paralysis within the US uh, meant that there was not going to be kind of big, bold policy initiatives that would help out what we could call the innocence of the global financial crisis. It's not our book, but I think Adam Tooze's book, Crash, said very presciently that the election of 2016 was more about 2008 than the election of 2012 was. Right. I think, I think Obama's presidency um, conceals the resentment and then intensifies it because the latent racism is brought about brought out by Obama as a president. And uh, so that the Republican party in 2012 says, our only aim is to make sure that you don't achieve anything. Uh, and by 2015, you know, they actually deny the president uh, uh, making an appointment to the Supreme Court, charting the course towards a system of minority rule. So we, we see these these as long-term developments, many of them rooted in American politics and intensified by international developments which feedback on the United States. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, that all makes sense. And there's this a move from order to disorder or even chaos. You also mentioned the word uncertainty. Uh, here's a quote from your book. Contemporary American politics reflects bone-shattering uncertainty. And uncertainty also marks America's position in the world. Admir admiring, loathing, and fearing America have been complemented by something unexpected and new, pitying America. Tell us more about this. So this, I think, is the reaction of the world looking at the million people dying as a result of COVID in the United States uh, because of an inadequate public health system skewed to the upper middle class and rich, but leaving behind minorities and the lower middle class, uh, re-intensified, I think, by the um, deep skepticism about science and uh, in, in a very substantial segment of the American public. And from other parts of the world, be it East Asia, be it uh, Western Europe, they look at us and saying, oh, this is a really very sad and sorry state. Uh, uh, we were not, you know, the beacon of the free world. Uh, I'd also like to home in on that word uncertainty that, that you flagged, because in our work more generally, Peter and I are very invested in this concept, and it's a little bit of inside baseball, but I think it's important to emphasize the role of uncertainty in understanding both domestic and international politics, because people often think, well, if we don't know what's going to happen, but it's, it's more than that. I mean, if you roll two dice, you don't know what number is going to come up, but you do know exactly what the probability of any given number is that's coming up. In the world of uncertainty, we really don't even understand the likely range of the possible. And so part of this book reflects the fact that we are in world politics 
in this in this environment of uncertainty, and that's that's part of which uh, leads to the editorial compromise of the question mark after the title of Downfall of the American Order, and that emphasis on the fact that we just don't know uh, what's going to happen next, and we don't even have a full set of tools to like command with confidence to say, well, if this happens, then this happens. Rather, it's sudden events that really can transform expectations uh, un unexpectedly. I think, the, I think the current Ukraine war is an example of that. Most people didn't expect the war to unfold in this way, and neither side uh, got the war they expected to get. And the political reactions from that were also consequential, and also consequential of the potential prospects uh, for the American order. But again, I don't think these were on the front of people's minds. I don't think this was just a variety of probabilities that people could have anticipated in advance, but rather it was almost what we could call an exogenous shock that sort of shook things up. And then we had to imagine what the responses to it and consequences of it might be. I think that's right. I mean, I actually just published a book this year on uncertainty and its discontent worldviews and world politics. And uh, of course, uncertainty is a key concept in 20th century physics. But students of world politics are convinced that Newtonianism is the science of the future, even though it's now 150 years out of date. Uh, and they often equate the concept of risk with the concept of uncertainty. Uh, and often they are very good at statistically measuring things after they have happened, but they cannot imagine writing about things which might be possible or potential futures. Uh, that's just not in, in, in our, not just theirs, but in our um, toolkit. And uh, there is a certain kind of hubris there. Uh, and as I say, I'm in a very committed view of science, which I regard as pretty old fashioned. Uh, uh, I don't think many natural scientists would look at it that way. Uh, they think the world doesn't know its own future, so how would we? And also, if I could shift gears slightly, I did want to raise this important issue of uncertainty, but another part of your question had to do with perceptions of America. And I do think that those have changed over the past decade, and I think that those matter dramatically. Again, if we're living in a world in which uncertainty rules, then we have to try and make the best guesses we have or can possibly make about the behavior of some countries, especially really big and important countries. And it's not surprising that lots of countries around the world are reassessing their guesses about the likely behavior of the United States on the world stage. And again, that speaks to the core theme of the volume, the downfall of the American order. American politics was always tumultuous, but nevertheless, I think people could be confident in their expectations about how the US is going to more or less behave with regard to its commitment to its alliances, its engagement with international institutions, again, with important exceptions. But nevertheless, we've entered into a period now where actors, it would be irresponsible of them not to reassess their expectations about how the US will behave. And that's where I think it implicates this so-called American order and its future in our volume. Right. I mean, Saudi Arabia right now, the crisis uh, in energy pricing, you know, is a good example of a very trusted ally uh, feeling it is time to break out from an alliance which you know, the United States thought was fairly secure. Uh, 
And this is in part generational, but it is in part also that Saudi Arabia wants to play a different role in a world which is different from the world of 1945 or 1976, when the deal between security and oil pricing was really struck between the United States and Saudi Arabia. It's just one further illustration. Exactly, and a good one, because the US has implicitly guaranteed Saudi security in the past, rooted as Peter just said in the 1970s, but is that commitment really currently credible? Uh, there are reasons to believe it might not be. And again, Gulf states have to really make that assessment on their own and, and come to conclusions about their relationships uh, with the United States. But this has to go on in Europe and in Asia as well. I think personally, I welcome this reassessment with regard to America's commitment to the Middle East, but it's more problematic when you start to talk about the countries of Europe and Asia and their assessments of productive American engagement with the world. Interesting, interesting. So you, along with an extraordinary group of contributors, uh, have presented your ideas and prognostications. What do you both see as the largest and most consequential changes in the international order that are looming ahead? Well, it's not an international order. It is disorder. And the disorder starts at home. Uh, uh, United States domestic politics looked at from abroad is not trustworthy. And uh, it is likely to spiral downward further than it has so far. So people look at the election coming up, you know, in a few weeks uh, or 2024, but that may be too short a time frame to look at the rise of right-wing populist government, which will eventually, of course, will also lead to left-wing populist government, uh, uh, led by political cadres who simply do not trust or want democratic politics. And uh, that is a, a profound shift in American politics reverberating globally. And you find it, of course, you know, in Brazil or in Italy, where for different reasons, similar right-wing uh, political movements have risen. Or, Britain, the Conservative Party after 2016, basically Britain and the United States as leaders of neoliberalism have collapsed. The right wing has collapsed. And this is providing enormous shockwaves for international disorder. I agree that it's these domestic social and political upheavals are the things that are likely to define the messiness of the emerging international disorder. But I would also like to call attention to two themes here that are important for the book. Um, one has to do with learning and forgetting, and one has to do with bargains. Uh, I do think that this notion that the American order, uh, which we oversimplify, or I oversimplify, um, that emerges after the Second World War, one of the things it was built on was the lessons of the past. The idea that the previous 30 years had gone rather poorly, and we didn't want to do that again. Uh, from the United States perspective, that meant a sort of short-sighted America first style foreign policy, which was replaced after the Second World War with something that could be called an enlightened self-interest, a more forward-looking uh, definition of what was in America's interest, and that was global engagement. But I think that the lessons of the interwar period, well, those lessons are now uh, approaching 100 years old. And so uh, people can learn, but people can often forget. Similarly, 
the American order emerges out of the trauma of the Great Depression. And there were certain kind of social economic bargains within and across societies that were reached after the Second World War. And those too started to unravel. I think even earlier, we can trace this easily to some of the changes in the 1980s, uh, which led to a shift from a more inclusive economic order to a more um, Dickensian interpretation of what capitalism looked like. Yeah, I mean, the growth of the welfare state uh, uh, was really pre predicated in Europe on a bargain uh, which said the inequities of the market need to be regulated. And uh, the concept of embedded liberalism, which is very important in this book, uh, uh, and of course, uh, John Ruggie, a esteemed colleague and close friend over many decades who died shortly after the book was completed, uh, very unfortunate loss for all of us, coined this concept in order to point in the 1980s already to the disembedding of markets due to the push towards the neoliberal policy solutions by the United States and Britain foremost. And the adverse consequences of that set of policy uh, solutions uh, eventually had the pendulum swing back. And we are now in the era of right-wing populism uh, in domestic politics and with its nationalist status consequences in international relations, hollowing out what remains of the liberal order or the American order. And indeed, many of the chapters of the book, including John's own chapter, root back to a revisitation of his notion of the embedded liberal order and how it has, to some extent, unraveled in recent years. Excellent, excellent. You talk about, no one can predict the future, obviously, and you have a great uh, quote where you say, we want to be power walking into the future when, in fact, we are always just tapping our canes on the pavement in the fog. <laughs> that was great. Now, clearly, there's no crystal ball. There's no uh, perfect prediction of the future. But I just wanted to hear from both of you if, if we could, as you were saying, Peter, move from just the midterm elections or 2014, but let's take a decade into the future. What is your greatest hope given the current trajectory? And what is your greatest fear? Yeah, I, mean, there, I think there are two responses I have. One is there will be a lot of policy experimentation and you never know what comes out of experimentation. Experimentation is not the same as an experiment. Uh, many students of international relations are very much sought on conducting experiments with treatment variables and accurate predictions and confidence intervals. Experimentation is really a concept from Albert Hirschman. says, you muddle through, you try things out, and you fall into truth by trying things out. Uh, falling into truth as a concept is sort of an interesting idea. So it's possible that in this era of international disorder, we will fall into some kind of truth which we do not see yet. So that's one prospect over the next 10 or 15 years. And the other one is one thing which we do see is clearly the uh, likely catastrophic impact of the environment. Uh, and that is a long-term change uh, to which capitalism hopefully will provide solutions in terms of some technical fixes like geothermal or hydrogen and energy, uh, but which more importantly will energize 
the next generation in political ways which we cannot foresee, but which are likely to upset the established political patterns based on fear, uh, despair, and hate, uh, which we find particularly in those segments of the population who feel that over the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years, long-term developments have disadvantaged them. And they are not wrong. They have disadvantaged them. But I think a new kind of politics is likely to upset that political standoff which we have these days. Once again, I'd like to underscore one, one comment that, that Peter made about policy experimentation. I'm not really in the hope business myself, um, but there is one chapter in the volume uh, written by Eileen Grable, and she, very much influenced by Hirschman, as Peter invoked, uh, emphasizes that one consequence that is actually positive of perhaps an erosion of an American order is creating the space for policy experimentation, uh, which she thinks will lead to a variety of possibilities that might not have otherwise taken place. Um, as for pessimism, uh, uh, I'm much more at home uh, in, in that area. And my own view, aside from the obvious uh, climate crisis that, again, Peter invoked, my, my own greatest current concern, and I think it will affect the nature of international politics and, of course, domestic politics, is this generalized global rise of personalist authoritarianism. Uh, it's uh, shocking to me, um, but it is, I think, a dangerous phenomenon and not easily explained, uh, again, to, to, to my eyes, but it is, it is not something we just see in the United States. It's something we can see on every continent in which many polities seem to be turning to very strong and often authoritarian leadership. Uh, and I think that this will uh, be something that defines the emerging pattern of international relations and not for good. But I, I do so that is the, the thing that probably concerns me the most, acknowledging the fact that, of course, climate change represents a global looming catastrophe that we, we need to reckon with. But as a kind of political scientist, I do think this phenomenon is the one that I find very uh, disturbing. And you can even see it within authoritarian states, right? So they weren't democracies, but even some non-democracies have transitioned towards an even more kind of ruthless form of personalist authoritarianism that has the support of a lot of people within their societies. And this, I think, is not a good recipe uh, for, for world politics. And also, it's rather uh, incompatible with my own uh, personal preferences. Yeah, it's a, it's a move towards Caesarism. I mean, you could call it Putinism, but it's it's a form of Caesarism. Uh, and uh, the Caesars normally overreach. Uh, so I think this is what's going to happen most likely within the next 10 years. Uh, and this may be, you know, with catastrophic consequences, it might be incrementally in creating new political possibilities, which we cannot foresee right now. But one-man dictatorships are not a happy solution uh, for the problems the world is facing. And uh, the 300 million Chinese who are right now under lock uh, would attest to that, you know, uh, but they can't do anything about it. Do you think there's a correlation between this uncertainty that we see in American politics, but we also see around the world, with the authoritarian movements, you know that if if they're in a, if you're in a, a situation that is uncertain, uh, there's disorder, you don't know what's going to happen. Having someone that you can look up to and has all the answers might make people feel comfortable. 
Yeah, I don't know whether the, these people have the answers. They pretend they have the answer, like build a wall. Uh, yeah. But uh, it turned out that, you know, under President Trump, the migration problem wasn't solved. Uh, uh, so, but it, I think it is true that, you know, a widespread sense of uncertainty, disorientation, hopelessness will, will lead to people saying, well, maybe, maybe this person will be able to solve my problems. I think that is true. I agree. I think that that, that instinct exists. I, I, I don't think it will well serve those people. But again, the, the despair we've talked about, the fact that many people feel left out or disillusioned, um, I think that in that context, people can be susceptible to a charismatic demagogue who makes promises that he speaks for them. Um, but, but what's remarkable is how this appears to be a rather global phenomenon. And, and that, that is a little more complex and for me, not as easily understandable. Mm -hmm. But in the Ukraine, we already see this is not necessarily leading to good outcomes for the strong men pretending to have good answers, right? So certainly. certainly. Um, wow. Well, I really appreciate you both as well as your contributors doing a, a deep dive into the subject. It can uninspire the, uh, any hope, but um, realism is important here. But I do like your term, Peter, falling into truth, that perhaps this chaos uh, that we're currently living in will uh, result in a new emerging order, which we don't know, but that may move us forward uh, in tackling these crises. So I want to thank you both for for bringing this project together, the downfall of the American order. Thank you so much, Peter and Jonathan. Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. That was Peter Katzenstein and Jonathan Kirshner, co-editors of the new book, The Downfall of the American Order. If you'd like to purchase their new book, use the promo code 09POD to save 30% on our website at cornellpress.cornell.edu. If you live in the UK, Use the discount code CSAnnounce and visit the website combinedacademic.co.uk. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast.